Our scripture this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 6 through 19. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I speak to you in some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? It is the same way with lifeless instruments that produce sound, such as the flute or the harp. If they do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is being played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if in a tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is being said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different kinds of sounds in the world, and nothing is without sound. If then I do not know the meaning of a sound, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for spiritual gifts, strive to excel in them for building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unproductive. What should I do then? I will pray with the spirit, but I will pray with the mind also. I will sing praise with the spirit, but I will sing praise with the mind also. Otherwise, if you say a blessing with the spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say the amen to your thanksgiving, since the outsider does not know what you are saying? For you may give thanks well enough, but the other person is not built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your words of wisdom. We pray now that in these few moments we will hear your voice and not the preacher's words. Help us to hear you speaking. If that means listening between the words, then help us to do that. Help us to hear you speak to us. Speak to us, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. What we've got here is a failure to communicate. Does that ring a bell? For some of you, you may, may not have seen that movie because it was before your time. But that comes from the movie Cool Hand Luke, 1967. It was spoken by the prisoner guard known as Captain as he was knocking down the hill, uh, Luke, who was the prisoner. It was also spoken right at the end of the movie by Luke himself, just as he was surrounded by a whole lot of... Uh, police and with guns. It is considered to be in the top 15 movie quotes of all time. In fact, it's number 11. Today's worship theme is leadership. And I am I want to suggest that good communication is at the heart of good leadership. You see, good leaders communicate well. Uh, of course, Ronald Reagan is known as the great communicator, and partly because of uh, 
his own background in the movies, but but also uh, one uh, one of his speeches stands out in particular, and that is when he stood at the Brandenburg Gate in Berlin in 1987. And he said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And those words became very poignant later when the wall finally did come down. And then we can move back in time to 1933 when Franklin D. Roosevelt helped lift a nation out of the despair of the Great Depression when he said in his first inaugural address, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And of course, perhaps for many, uh, the, the, the line that uh, is engraved in our souls is that which was spoken by Martin Luther King Jr. on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in 1963 when he said, I have a dream. I have a dream for a nation that is, uh, that is different from the way it was at that moment. That dream uh, has not been realized, but hopefully we've taken a few steps in the right direction. When I think of a good communicator, I think of my mother. <laughs> uh, because, and, and I, I think I've shared this story before about when I was very young. I was one of four children, and we were, we were living in Alabama at the time. My dad had gone to Germany to pre prepare a place for us. He was in the Army. And in those days, they would actually take portions of the, the GI's uh, pay and send it back to the home. It was what we considered the, a government allowance check. And this particular day, we had run out of that check, and we were waiting for the next one to arrive. And our cupboards were empty. They were gone. Other than there, there was some little powdery stuff. I was a child. I didn't know what it was, but apparently it must have been like cornmeal or something because my mother was able to make some little, uh, really what, I think she was probably trying to make biscuits, but they ended up being crackers and we, we had them in the morning. And by late afternoon, we still, we had nothing else. And uh, so my mother had asked all of us, the four, four of her children to go and scour the house for every dime, every penny, every nickel that we could find. And then she gave those coins to my oldest sister and told her to go to the store. And what did she tell her to buy? She told her to buy candy, candy of all things. And, you know, and over the years, now that I'm a parent, I, I look back on that and go, why did she ask, why didn't she say go buy bread or milk or something that would be far more nourishing? Why did she say candy? But now I am absolutely convinced I know why she did that. She did that because what she wanted to feed us with was hope. She wanted to let us know that, that things were going to be all right, you know, that, that mom was taking care of things. And, and when I look back on it, I don't remember being hungry. I, I really, I don't remember bellyache. What I remember is we had candy for dinner. <laughs> That's what I remember. That's why I say I think my mother was a good communicator. Now, there are, of the 20 spiritual gifts, which, by the way, uh, you can find on these yellow sheets that are in our connection kiosks around the church. Um, of the 20 uh, spiritual gifts, seven of them I would put into the category of uh, gifts of leadership, and that's what we're talking about today, gifts of leadership. These gifts of leadership really depend upon 
communication. Like I said, to be a, a good leader, you need to have good communication skills. And so I want us to look at, at these seven spiritual gifts of leadership and, and see how, in fact, communication does play an important part. The first one is administration, the, the spiritual gift of administration. Now, people who have this gift, and you may be such a person, and let me say that you might have several of the spiritual gifts. You may have one, you may have all 20. But if you have the spiritual gift of administration, then you are the kind of person who knows how to organize people and, and details, you know, moving toward a, a, an end, you know, to, to accomplish a task or a goal. Well, think about it. Communication is essential to, to moving a group of people toward a, a task, toward the accomplishment of a task. Communication is essential to a person who has the gift of administration. And then you have the gift of, a, of apostleship. Now, I realize that some, some words may be foreign to us because it's not the kind of word that we would walk around and saying, hey, I'm, you know, are you an apostle? You know, it, it's, uh, it, it's um, something that might uh, not be clear to us. And so it's important for us to kind of look into it and, and learn more about it. But the gift of apostleship uh, is that gift that, that uh, has a person wanting to reach out to new people and new, uh, new cultures. An apostle was one who followed Christ into those, those strange places, into the places with sinners and into the places that ultimately all the apostles uh, moved out well beyond Jerusalem and, and uh, took the gospel in, in many places. It may seem like uh, that's really a kind of gift of evangelism, but it, it's really, it, it's about, it, it's about kind of not just simply sharing the good news of Christ, but it is reaching out into new places with new people and understanding them and then taking that gospel and, and sharing it with them in a way that makes sense to them. A lot of times people who have the gift of apostleship become missionaries. Missionaries, if they, if they took an assessment to determine what kinds of gifts they might have, what kind of spiritual gifts they have, almost all of them would come up with the gift of apostleship. Communication, obviously, is at the heart of apostleship. How do you, how do you share the, the good news of Christ unless you communicate that with others? And then you have the gift of exhortation, people who, who have this gift offer encouragement and support to others so they can reach their own um, potential. We think of exhortation as like pounding people with, uh, this is what, uh, what you ought to be or do, but, but really it's someone who encourages others to become the best that they can be, what God intended them to be. Exhortation is, is truly a, a, a kind of supportive function for the rest of the church. And how can you do that without communication skills? How do you support someone without communicating with them, whether it's through your body language or through your words? And then you have uh, the gift of leadership. And of course, uh, I'm kind of categorizing all, all seven of these gifts as leadership, but more specifically, the gift of leadership uh, is understood by looking at the word in Romans 12:8, that's the one place where this spiritual gift is listed. And the word for leadership is the Greek word proisteme, which comes from two Greek words, pro, 
meaning before, and isteme, which means to stand. And so leadership is to stand before. It's like a leader is one who stands up on the, on the hillside looking out over the horizon, maybe like Moses looking at the promised land. And it's up to the leader to motivate the rest of the people to come over the hill to, to see what the leader sees, you see. Now, communication is a key ingredient to motivating other people. The leader stands before, marches before, walks before, and motivates others to come along. The next spiritual gift is shepherding, and it it sounds like this is a lot like leadership, but there is a distinction. Much like the gift of leadership, uh, the the shepherd kind of pulls people toward uh, toward a better place. But the difference between a, a leader and a shepherd is a shepherd has a more pastoral function. The shepherd is one who walks beside those who would follow the leader. The shepherd is one who sort of guides the sheep, you know, with the, with the rod and the staff and kind of marches them toward the, the greener grasses or the cool waters. If you remember in the story of the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus gets out of the boat and he sees the crowd. And the first thing he thinks is they were like sheep without a shepherd. They, they were like sheep that didn't know where to find the green grass. They didn't know what direction to go. And they were all just kind of mealing around. And, and, and Jesus wanted to be their good shepherd to lead them in the right direction. And he did that by, by walking beside them, alongside them. Communication skills are critical in utilizing this gift. The sixth uh, spiritual gift in this category of leadership is the gift of teaching. Uh, People who have this spiritual gift are those who help others to learn and grow. And much like exhortation, you see, remember the one who had the gift of exhortation is the one who uh, supports and encourages others to be the best they can be. Well, teaching has that same component, but much like shepherding is to leadership, the teacher is one who mentors the one who is growing, the one who is developing. The teacher is the one who sits down beside the one who is learning and over and over again with patience works with them as they move forward in their lives. You can't do this without communication. And then finally, we come to the the spiritual gift of tongues. Now, in the Bible, when Paul talks about speaking in tongues, he's clearly talking about glossolalia, which is this kind of, uh, to those who would not understand what is being said, it it would seem like gibberish. Uh, and uh, Paul was confronted by a number of people who who could who could speak in th- this manner, this uh, this glossolalia, who who would speak, and he was concerned that people with that gift would just kind of let it out and without any kind of interpretation, without anyone really understanding what is being said. And that's why he writes his letter. And as we have learned in our lesson today, he's trying to say, well, it's well and good that you can speak in tongues, but it's better if you can speak in such a way that people can understand. Well, this gift really for us today is, is far beyond just glossolalia. It's about, it's about speaking in other ways. It's about speaking in ways that, that 
captures the essence of what the Holy Spirit is trying to say to the church and then speaking in a, in a different way, in a different way than we would normally talk and maybe in a language uh, that is not uh, common to us. It's really this speaking in tongues, this gift of tongues is a metaphor for speaking or communicating in ways that, that people can understand. In his letter to the Corinthians, Paul made it clear that he could speak in tongues. He says in verse 18 of our lesson today, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. He's saying, oh, you've got this gift and that's a wonderful gift. I have it too. In fact, I, my gift is even better than yours. I can speak in tongues. But he also made it clear that it was even more important that he speak in a way that others can understand. It's not sufficient just to have the gift of speaking in a new way. We need to speak in a new way so people can understand what is being said. And so he says, nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. And that's verse 19. Now, think about it. Paul probably spoke Aramaic like, uh, like Jesus uh, spoke. That was sort of the, the native tongue of those who lived in Palestine and were Hebrew at that time. But he obviously uh, would have known Hebrew. I mean, he was a Pharisee. He, he would know the scriptures forward and backward, and the scriptures that he knew uh, at that time was only what we call the Old Testament. It was only written in Hebrew. So he would know Hebrew. He would speak uh, Aramaic. But he obviously also knew Greek because he wrote his letters in Greek. That's what we have for for us today. And, of course, as he says in 1 Corinthians, he spoke in the language of the Holy Spirit. He spoke in tongues. But he knew it was best to communicate in whatever language was best for people to understand. No matter how many different languages he might have spoken, it was more important to him that he speak in such a way that others could understand his message. He was a leader in the church, and he knew if he wanted to lead, he needed to speak in whatever language was needed for people to understand what he was trying to say. Now, whether or not you and I want to believe it, you and I speak in more than one language. Now, I've, personally, I've, I was an English major, so I obviously studied English, and most of us here speak English as our native tongue. Uh, I also studied German and, and French and Latin and Greek, but my native tongue is Southern. <laughs> now, I've been learning a few new languages since those early days of trying to understand a variety of those tongues. I've been learning email, uh, which has really become an ancient tongue spoken only by baby boomers. Uh, That's what I have learned from my own children. Now, texting is something different. I'm still trying to learn that language. It may be the only language that my youngest son knows because I can be sitting right next to him Telephone, forget telephones. Texting is the way I have to communicate with my son. Letter writing is is a language, but it is a primordial means of communication, only a little less ancient than cave painting. (laughs) Now, millennials and 
Some of you out there are millennials or younger. You speak the language of YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and so many others that I don't even know the words to describe them. It is no accident that when the church was born at Pentecost, God sent the Holy Spirit in the form of tongues. Because you see, God was giving us the power to be multilingual. When I was in um, seminary, and I've, I've shared this story before, but um, it's so meaningful to me. When I, when I was in seminary, um, this would have been in the mid-70s, uh, I went to uh, this amusement park called Carowinds uh, down uh, near Charlotte uh, with a colleague, his wife, and their four-year-old son named Kirk. Now, Kirk was a little white boy with hair that was as white as his skin, blonde, uh, blue eyes, little guy. We got to the uh, got to the park, and uh, there was this one of these roller coasters that you go upside down, and they were a little nervous about Kirk getting on that. And so I said, "Look, I'll make the sacrifice. I'll not go, and I'll stay and watch Kirk." <laughs> so they took off, John and Norma Jean, around this lake to get in the mile-long line to get on this roller coaster, and Kirk and I remained behind. There was a split-rail fence, and I kind of leaned on the top rail, and Kirk leaned on the bottom one, and we looked out across the uh, across this lake, and we heard all the screams of those who were on the ride. A few minutes passed, and I looked over to look at Kirk, and then I looked just beyond him, and there was a little African-American boy about his own height, probably his own age, that was just standing there looking at Kirk with just this broad grin on his face. He was, he was just so happy, and he was just standing there looking at Kirk. And so I said, Kirk, I think you've got a friend. And so Kirk looked over, and it was like somebody had turned on a light. I mean, he just lit up. His whole face lit up. He was smiling just like his black friend. And, he, and just without anything being said, he just runs over and they're looking at each other face to face. And then without anyone prompting, they just started running in a circle, round and around and around, one chasing the other. And then, and then as suddenly as they began, they stopped and they turned around and they ran in the other direction. And they did this for what seemed like hours, though it was probably only a few minutes. Well, time passed and finally there was a a couple that probably was the, the young black boy's parents that were standing off to the side. They weren't really watching, but they, they saw him in the corner of his eye, and they just called to him. They obviously were getting ready to leave, and so they called for him to follow. And so Kirk and his new friend just stopped, and they looked at each other face to face. You could hardly put a finger between their noses. And then... Again, without prompting, Kirk took that little black boy's hand, his face in his hands, and he kissed him. And then they parted. And I stood there in tears. I wanted to look around. I wanted to say, did anybody see this? This is in the middle of the 70s in South Carolina. And a little black boy and a little white boy, they just kissed each other. In... And I was the only one who saw it. 
they were speaking a language that most of us adults don't speak, and certainly not then and there. They were speaking a foreign tongue, but most importantly, they were speaking the language of God's unconditional love. It's a foreign language to a lot of people. I'm afraid it was a foreign language to the people holding those torches out in the park. We need translators, you see. God needs multilingual disciples who can translate God's love into a language that people can understand. We need, you see, liberals speaking the language of conservatives and conservatives speaking the language of liberals. We need to learn new ways of talking to one another. We need Democrats speaking the language of Republicans and vice versa. We need evangelicals and, and social activists learning the language of the other, young and old, rich and poor, Because you see, that's what God's kingdom is. God's kingdom will not be a kingdom of everybody speaking one language, but it will be like on Pentecost when everybody was speaking in their own tongue, but they all heard the good news of Christ. We need people who are willing to learn and speak new languages so all God's children can hear and understand the good news of God's mercy. Now that's what it means to be a leader. And that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord, forgive us for thinking we're too old to learn a new way of talking. Forgive us. And then, give us a lesson. Teach us how to communicate in new ways because there's no greater message to share with the world than the message of your love. Amen.